back here in Aurora, seeing all of you, and thank you for sending Mark uh, up to uh, serve our church this morning. And as Dan mentioned, I'm, I'm going to be sharing a, a sermon I shared with our church about three weeks ago. It's on the topic of prayer, um, but my prayer is that even though I preached this sermon three weeks ago, it'll be fresh to all of you, it'll be fresh to me. And even yesterday as I was digging back in, um, looking at the, the text and the notes again, I was just freshly provoked in the greatness of our God and the privilege it is to pray to Him. So if you could, and by the way, I do send greetings from scenic Westminster. Uh, yeah, right. But anyway, uh, it's again great to be here. So if you could turn in your Bibles or devices to Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning primarily at verses 23 to 31. So Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. And the title of my message today is this. It's prayer and fresh power. For prayer and fresh power. And again, we're looking at Acts 4, 23 to 31. Now, as I begin, I want to ask you a question. And for some of us that have, shall I say, been around the block a few times, maybe have the gray salt and pepper look or beyond, uh, it may take a while to, to think of the answer to this question. But the question is this, when is the first time that you remember your first specific answer to prayer? When or where were you when you asked God for something and you remember and you got it? Now, maybe you were a small child and it was the week leading up to Christmas and, and in your small childlike way, you might have said, God, please give me a G.I. Joe. And Christmas morning, you open that gift and yeah, you got it. Or maybe you're in your teen years and you... you prayed a prayer something like this you said god please give me a job at mcdonald's and then next thing you know they called and you were making happy meals for the next two years or what have you now for me i think my story is a little bit well maybe for lack of a better term a little bit odd a little bit different but i remember specifically i was a senior in high school i grew up in upstate new york it was a cold winter night, uh, and I was lying on my bed in, in my house, in my parents' house in Vestal, New York, and it was the night before the Vestal High School varsity bowling tryouts. Now, you might say, and I know some of you are saying, no, you had to be more of an athlete than that. But here's the reality. Through high school, I was... Not very strong physically. I didn't have a whole lot of talent. I had tried out for baseball. I tried out for basketball. I always got cut. And my last hurrah, I had no varsity letters to, in my academic, if you will, or athletic resume. And in my last, shall we say, the last ditch effort I had is there was the varsity bowling team tryouts. Yeah, we can talk why. <laughs> my team even had a bowling team later. But I remember in a very simple way praying a prayer like this. I was like, God, if you're out there, could you please help me tomorrow? 
at the varsity bowling team tryouts. It was a three-day tryout, nine games total, top seven averages made the team. Now, here's the amazing thing. The next day, I go to Midway Lanes in Vestal, New York. I warm up. I throw the three-game series. And at the end of the first day of tryouts, I'm leading the tryout, 620-something series. The varsity coach could not believe it. I was bowling out of my league, and I knew it. It was like a miracle on the lanes. And then the next six games over the next two days, reality you know, kind of set in. I kind of you know, lowered the standard, which we all expected. But because of that opening three-game set, at the end of the ninth game, I was in seventh place. I made the team. And granted, I sat the bench most of the season, but I got my varsity letter. And here's the funny thing about it. I'm one of the only people I know that I honestly believe part of my testimony is God used that to make an impression on my heart that, you know what, maybe there is a living God out there that cares about me. And then providentially, a few months later, during my senior year of high school, a classmate shared the gospel with me. And a month after graduation, God saved my soul. So hey, we won't talk bowling after the message, but, but the reality is that was like the first specific answer to prayer I remember. Now, I share this story because as Christians, it's totally okay to ask God for the simplest of things. Maybe you wake up and your knee is sore and you say, God, could you give me a parking space close to the main entrance? Or maybe you're asking for a good deal for the gift you want to buy a family member or your child. But as we dig into Acts 4 today, my prayer and my burden is that God will first and foremost put in our hearts, like the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach me to pray. And that the Lord will also broaden our vision and broaden our desire that as we pray to God, not only do we ask Him for these little more temporal things, but in a much broader and deeper and more God-glorifying way, we pray to Him to ask Him to glorify Himself through our lives in a, in a bigger and mightier and ever-increasing way. See, as we're going to see in this passage in Acts, the Lord desires for us, no matter what circumstances we're facing, to realize that He has set the stage providentially to glorify Himself in the midst of our circumstances. And He wants us to pray big prayers that are centered on Him and centered on seeing Jesus exalted in and through our circumstances. So please read with me as I read now from Acts 4, verses 23 to 31. And I'm going to backtrack in a few minutes and, and kind of remind us of the context of this as well. So the scriptures say, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Punctius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, notice this prayer, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your holy, inspired word. And now I ask you, Lord, to use this word. Lord, guide my thoughts. Help me to communicate the glorious truths of these scriptures. And Lord, help each and every one that's here to listen and to hear what you have for them, to encourage them in your walk with you today. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, a key law of Bible interpretation is you've got to look at the context. And to kind of backtrack a little bit, if you remember where this passage falls in the book of Acts, there has been a miraculous healing. If you recall, in Acts 3, there's this lame man who's at the temple gate called the beautiful gate. And Peter and John are walking into the temple and they see this man. And the man asks them for alms. He's basically begging, asking them, hey, can you give me some coins? And if you remember this story, Peter and John see him and they say, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give you. And then they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So here's this lame man, and the scriptures tell us a little later in Acts 4, he's never walked, he's over 40 years old. Peter and John see him, and he's begging them for money, and they say, you know what, we don't have any money. But here's what we do have. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter, I can imagine this burly fisherman, he reaches out, it says, with his right hand, and he gets hold of this man, and he raises him up, and the scriptures say immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Can you imagine this guy who's almost like a temple celebrity in a sense. Everybody knows him. He's there at the gate virtually every day. And suddenly, in an instant, through the power of Jesus' name, he is completely healed. And he leaps up. I mean, I'm just trying to put my head around what happened. He leaps up, and he's dancing and praising God and leaping. And later it says he's clinging to Peter and John. And the whole crowd sees what's happening, and there's this incredible commotion. And Peter realizes, wow, this stage has been set to preach Christ and him crucified. Because some people in the crowd thought it was through their own power. And Peter's like, oh no, 
Let me tell you what this power is. And so he preaches the clear gospel that these folks are guilty before God. They killed the Messiah. But Jesus came and was crucified, excuse me, and rose again. And through his power, this man is well. And the scriptures tell us that over 5,000 men got saved. And if you imagine their spouses or their children, it was a, a huge amount of fruit. But out of this, and this commotion continues, they're looking at this man, and it, it's an indisputable healing miracle. The religious leaders now are getting greatly annoyed. And it's sad when you see the darkness of sin in men's hearts where they should have been rejoicing that this lame man who had not walked in 40 years was healed. Instead, they're greatly annoyed at Peter and John because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So what did the religious leaders do? Did they thank Peter and John for, hey, thanks for coming to the temple? And no, they arrested them. I'm like, are you kidding me? They arrested them and put them in custody. And they're, they're really between, as we would say, a rock and a hard place now. Because they're asking themselves, what do we do with these guys? So what they decide to do is threaten them. They called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And when they further threatened them, it says right toward the end there, or the passage before this one, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. See, they couldn't harm Peter and John because they were esteemed highly now in the eyes of the people. So we're going to you know, we're going to punish people that just were the instruments of healing a layman. So their only recourse is, let's give them a gag order. You are not to talk anymore about Jesus and this resurrection stuff and all that. And let's keep in mind, most of these men were the same crew of guys that convinced the Roman authorities to crucify Jesus. These are credible threats. These aren't just, oh, you're just all talk. No, if they could convince Pilate to crucify the sinless son of God, there's no doubt Peter and John knew these guys could back their words. So this now, and forgive me if it's a little long there, but I wanted to really set the context. This is now the, the, the stage that is set where we're at as we get into the passage for today. So as I mentioned, the title of this message is Prayer and Fresh Power. And here's the main thought or the summary thought I would share with you. God-centered prayers result in powerful, Christ-exalting answers. God-centered prayers result in powerful, Christ-exalting answers. And we're going to look at three points today. First, we're going to look at the God we pray to, that I pray will freshly encourage us, as it's encouraged me, that when we pray, let's remember who we're praying to. So point one, the God we pray to. Point two, the things we pray about. And then lastly, we'll wrap up with the gracious answers we receive. So let's get right into now the God we pray to. And I think as now being a believer for gosh, it dates me for over 
40-some years. The thing is, it's easy when we come before the Lord in prayer to almost forget who we're really praying to. See, these folks heard this news, and notice when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And just as a little footnote here, you notice what they didn't do first. They didn't strategize. They didn't say, hey, Peter, hey, John, maybe there's a way we can preach the gospel in the southeast corner of the temple so these guys don't know where to do it. No, there's no strategy session here. The first thing they did is they cried out to God. And I don't want to just kind of fly over this. I think in a simple but practical way, I think it's a timely reminder for all of us that when trouble comes, let's first cry out to God. Remember what the psalmist said? Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And then he says, from where does my help come? Answer, my help comes from who? The Lord who made heaven and earth. See, if you're like me, and I'm grateful Catherine, my wife is here with me today. If you're like me, when trouble hits the fan, my first thought is, Catherine, do you know the phone call I just got? Do you know what happened today? Or if it's not Catherine, maybe she's at Costco, her favorite place or whatever. The thing is, maybe I'll quickly text a friend. Hey, can, can I talk to you? And then when they don't reply in like 2.8 seconds, I'm like, what? They're not dropping every... And, and we can easily get frustrated. No, and there's nothing wrong again with getting counsel and having people help bear your burdens. But let's first and foremost cry out to the living God. Okay? All due respect to the brothers and sisters in Christ who we love and I'm so grateful for. But no one gets our trouble like the King of Kings does. And as I was digging into this, preparing this sermon, I thought, oh God, help me first to cry out to you. Because people cannot take the place of God. And we need to cry out to him first. Though God, thank God, can use people to encourage us. But notice now, as we get into this prayer, how their prayer starts. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the, prof the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Do you see how their prayer starts? They start with these two words, sovereign Lord. What are they expressing here? And I think it's so vital for us as we come to the Lord with our needs and, and situations. They are declaring that the Lord alone has supreme power and authority. They are declaring as well that nothing happens outside of His control. They're saying, Lord, wow, we just heard what Peter and John said about all these threats, but you know what? We're going to start our prayer this way. Sovereign Lord, Almighty One, 
the one who rules everything. See, Wayne Grudem defines or describes sovereignty this way. Sovereignty is God's exercise of power over his creation. To say it another way, God Almighty, our God, rules over everything. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing. He and he alone is the all-powerful one. And we get to talk to him. Amazing. And as their prayer unfolds, it's so beautiful. We see here they kind of unpack or unwrap different ways that God's sovereignty has been made known. So first they reference his role in creation. They say who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. See, the sovereign Lord, our Lord, the one we can talk to and pray to, is the one who made out of nothing the heavens and the earth. He's the one who created every living creature, seen and unseen. He is the almighty creator of all. And we get to talk to him. Right now, he's holding all the planets. He's holding all our cells together. He's keeping my heart beating. He's keeping your heart beating. He is the creator of, the, of all. And based on, of course, the book of Genesis, we know that he made the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens and the earth, day and night, the animals, the sea creatures, the insects. He made everything. And we get to come to him to pray. I wonder if he has power. You know, he made us male and female in his image. You, all of us, are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's the sovereign Lord over all creation, creator and ruler of it all. And I keep coming back. I don't apologize for repeating myself, or as I used to say years ago when I was teaching high school, repeating myself, repeating myself. But the thing is, I want to drive this home. We get to talk to him. But secondly, when as they're in the prayer, they, they reference Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2. And in this prayer, they say, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, they quote this passage referring to the raging Gentiles and so on. But see, what they're now alluding to is this sovereign Lord who rules and reigns over everything, who created everything, also penned this book. And yes, this is the whole Bible. It's really small print. But they, he penned through David the word of God. And every promise, and they, they talk about the fact, after quoting Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2, they talk about the fulfillment of that through what happened to Jesus via Herod and Pontius Pilate. And they say, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, what they're saying here and what we see here is that our sovereign law oversaw through flawed men like David, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the writing of the Holy Word of God. And what God preserved and made sure 
was recorded. Every promise, every prophecy, every truth, he guarantees it will come to pass. So when David penned Psalm 2, hundreds of years before Jesus' crucifixion, it was as good as done because God promised it, therefore it was guaranteed. So at the appointed time, our sovereign Lord fulfilled these scriptures, prophesying the suffering that Jesus was going to go through via the sinful actions of Herod, Pilate, and a host of others. See, brothers and sisters, the Word of God is reliable. The Word of God can be stood upon. As that old song, I think, said, God said it, that settles it. And what we see here in the fulfillment of these verses in Psalm 2 is this glorious yet mysterious kind of way, way beyond our ability to understand truth about our sovereign Lord. Because Pilate and Herod and these evil men were completely accountable to God for their sinful actions. And yet, in the mystery of God, he ruled over all of it. So he fulfills his promises even through the acts of ungodly, sinful people and leaders. And commenting on this, the ESV Study Bible says this, in their prayer recorded, reported with approval by Luke, the believers affirm both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. These things were predestined by God, yet the human beings who did them were morally lawless they were responsible for their evil deeds. This prayer reflects both a deep acknowledgement of human responsibility and a deep trust in God's wisdom in his sovereign direction of detailed events of history. See, because of who our sovereign Lord is, these disciples knew that all that happened to Jesus was in fact predestined to take place. And might I encourage you, and it's again great to see all of you, and I don't know what some of you may be walking through right now, but may I also add an application here. Whatever you're walking through right now, your sovereign God knows all about it. And he has even predestined it to happen right now. And we're going to get more into this in just a minute. So let's think about this. The sovereign Lord, the one who created and sustains all things, the one who's miraculously given us his word and is faithful to fulfill his promises, the one who sent Jesus, his only son, to this earth to live, die, and rise again and save us from our sins. This is the God we have the privilege of praying to. See, when I was studying this, I'm like, why have I not been praying more? I get to come before the sovereign king of the universe who made everything, wrote his holy word, that his promises are forever settled in heaven. Why am I so distracted? See, in light of all these truths, let's be freshly gripped with this. Our powerful sovereign Lord wants to spend time with us. Think about that. He wants to teach us
to pray. And he wants to answer our prayers so that Jesus can be exalted and we can bear much fruit for his glory. Now, I could almost stop right here. But as they say in some of those infomercials, but there's more. So much more this morning. Am I doing on the time? Okay. So let's now look at the things we pray about. So remember, these disciples are facing this powder keg of circumstances. These men that are threatening them have proved they can convince Roman authorities to cause all kinds of havoc. And so as we look at this, and I think it's important too to realize these are men and women just like us. The guys, the ladies in this room, when Peter and John reported to them, I'm sure they had jobs, they had families, they had young children. They're facing this situation. So what do they pray? They say this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, it's a straightforward request, isn't it? They say, Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And by the way, please accompany that word with signs and wonders and affirmations. So they're asking God to strengthen them, to supernaturally empower them, so they can fulfill the mission God has called them to do, to proclaim the gospel, again, with affirming healing signs and wonders, and thus see Jesus exalted in Jerusalem and the surrounding communities. Now, here's a thought to consider. What is not in their prayer? What do we not see in this prayer? Facing all this danger, facing these credible, credible threats from religious leaders. Do you notice what we don't see in this prayer? There's no request for a removal of their sufferings or challenges. There's no request for their own protection or comfort. I'm not saying they never prayed it, but we don't see it recorded here in Scripture. There's not even a hint of me-centered, I want the most comfortable life now kind of thing in their prayer, is there? They're praying as they understand that their circumstances are under the rule of their sovereign Lord. They're praying that God would empower them to live their lives for His glory in their circumstances. And I think this is something that's really important that, that we just dwell on for a few moments here. They're not asking God to change their circumstances. Let me be clear. It's okay to ask God to change our circumstances. Remember the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh? Three times he's pleading with God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And the Lord finally says, no. Now what did Paul do after that? Did Paul say, oh, my life is ruined. I'm going to have this thorn in the flesh the rest of my life. I, no, Paul says, 
I'm going to glory in my infirmities. Because when I'm weak, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, I'm strong. And I think the application here is as we see them crying out to God, what was most important to these disciples wasn't seeing their situation get changed so that they could have more ease, liberty, or comfort. No, what was most important to them is in their circumstances, Jesus would be exalted. And I don't know about you, but when I've been in difficult circumstances that don't go away for days, months, years, there's a strong temptation to keep pounding the throne of God, saying, God, please take this away. God, please change this. Lord, please change this situation. Lord, please get me out of this dead-end job. Lord, Lord, Lord. And you, I get fixated on the circumstance. And I miss what we see in this scripture where, where really what I should have been praying, and I'm learning to pray more God-centered, not me-centered prayers, what I should have been praying is, Lord, for as long as you want me in this mess... I want to see Jesus exalted. Lord, show me more about yourself. Lord, give me your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, say, maybe just as a quick, simple application, say, and I don't know if this relates to any of you at this moment, but say you're in a job with a, like a, just a tyrannical, nasty boss. And everybody around you is whining and complaining. You know, break time, it's like, what are we going to say about so-and-so today? And it's so easy to get sucked back into that. But what about as God won't let you leave that job? And you keep, you know, filling out resumes or whatever, and he won't let you leave that job. What a stage is set to exalt Jesus Christ. Because as all your colleagues are in the break room whining, you come into work and you've got the joy of the Lord that is your strength. And they're looking at you like, how in the world can you be joyful? Well, it's because, you know what? Jesus is really my boss. And I'm working for him. Well, you know, aren't you going to enter into our whining party? No. Why? Because my joy isn't found in employment. My joy is found in the sovereign Lord of the universe. And the work God, I mean, I think of the months and maybe even years that I wasted time because I so wanted to get out of my circumstances and all the while God's saying, well, you can keep praying about that, but I'm going to keep you right here until you get the message that I have set my stage to exalt Jesus Christ in your hardship. Really? Really? See, we don't see these disciples praying for a change in Jerusalem leadership. We don't see them praying, God, strike the high priest dead. Lord, get these guys out of here. Lord, give me more freedom, whatever. No, they're saying, you know what, God? You've a sovereign Lord. You've appointed these guys. So because we're in this situation, we want to see Jesus' word proclaimed boldly in the situation. They didn't want to take it out. They wanted to see Christ exalted in their circumstances. 
So they pray for boldness. Gosh, this provokes me so freshly. So that in the sea of the evil around them, the gospel of Christ accompanied by supernatural evidence might be declared. Oh, well, God help me. I'm preaching this to myself again. I hope you don't mind. I won't talk to myself, though. That'd be kind of weird. But the thing is like, hey, how you doing? No, but the thing is, we need to get this. Yes, it's okay to ask God to change your circumstances. But those very circumstances are the platform in many cases that he wants to put Christ on display. So let's not forget that. Love this quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Most significant is the fact that these early Christians were not praying for relief from oppression or judgment on their oppressors. Let me read that again. Most significant is the fact that these early Christians were not praying for relief from oppression or judgment on their oppressors, but for enablement to speak your word with great boldness amid oppressions and for God to act in mighty power. Their concern was for God's word to go forth and for Christ's name to be glorified, leaving to God himself their own circumstances. Profound, isn't it? So again, I might be repeating myself one more time here, but here's what I'm learning. Though it's, again, okay to ask the Lord to remove our troubles. More often than not, there's something He wants to do in us, through us, to those around us, in our troubles. In other words, He wants to show Himself strong in our troubles. So as I alluded to also, even as I was prepping this week, I just wondered if there might be some of us here today that the Lord just wants to lovingly remind, first of all, because He is the sovereign Lord, He has heard your prayers. Some of you that are facing adversity, difficulty right now, I think first... He'd want to remind you that he's heard your prayers for a change in circumstances. And again, there's nothing wrong with talking to God about that. And he knows you want a breakthrough to relieve those difficulties. But, but I think based on this scripture, he'd want to lovingly remind all of us that he desires to exalt Jesus in your circumstances. Don't miss the opportunity to be a light, to glorify God in your circumstances. So this leads me to the last point, the best. Well, not that it hasn't all been good, but the gracious answers we receive. Notice what happens next. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. See, their answer came immediately and powerfully. The place where they were gathered was shaken, like an earthquake-like kind of tremble, as I understand it. 
And here, though, is the most precious part. They were all freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. They were renewed, given courage and supernatural power to preach Christ and Him crucified. See, we see in the answer two amazing things. The first is they had a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And and to put a little exclamation point on this, there is nothing so precious as a fresh filling and awareness of the presence of God in your troubles. So there's this shaking, and they're having a living encounter with the living God. And I wonder how precious this must have been to them in light of all the threats, in light of all the potential ways this could play out, they're experiencing a fresh filling of God's Spirit. You know, thank God, because the Spirit lives in us, we too can be filled over and over again. See, if you're beaten up this morning, and we've all been there. You know, I, I don't want to vent here in front of you wonderful people, but I had another call last night about COVID protocols. And I, I'm sorry, I'm a little tired of that. And the person was disagreeing with me because they had had a positive COVID test and I was encouraging him to, you know, anyway, we won't go into all the details. But I was just tired. And I even, well, anyway, we won't go into all the details, but God help my heart. Because it depleted me, but then it's like, you know what, God? Help me taste and see your good again. Help me not be weary in well-doing, Lord. Help me. But think about this. In our lives with God, as we get weary, we can come to our sovereign Lord and we can say, Lord, give me power. Give me a fresh filling of your spirit. Give me joy when it makes no sense. Give me peace when the world is screaming at me that I should be anxious. Give me that fresh empowerment to serve you no matter how challenging our circumstances may be. And God will fill us freshly with his spirit. And then secondly, notice the second aspect to their answer. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, they were empowered to continue to do the glorious work that the Lord was doing in Jerusalem. In other words, they received the filling of the Spirit to do the work that God had called them to do. What a privilege. See, as I began this message, and we're getting near the end here, God-centered prayers, as I mentioned, kind of the summary thought, God-centered prayers result in powerful, Christ-exalting answers. And my prayer is that with growing passion and purpose, may you and I embrace the reality That when Jesus saved us, he saved us to live our lives for his glory. And sometimes that means he leaves us in difficult, threatening even situations to show the world his power and that Jesus may be exalted in all we say and do. See, though the, the Lord often showers us with these temporal blessings in this life, what we see here again is the, is the goal, if you will, of answered prayer isn't to give us a nice, less troublesome life. 
On the contrary, often the purpose of answered prayer is to give us the power to live a sacrificial, self-denying, God-glorifying life in and through the local church. See, what the Lord desires in all our hearts is this. When trouble comes, let's pray to Him first. Let's realize who we are praying to. The sovereign Lord, the creator of the universe, who says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's remember who we pray to. And if the worship team wants to come back up now, that would be great. Let's also, too, remember the things we pray about. Though, again, it's appropriate to ask God to remove and lessen maybe the severity of our circumstances. Let's also be praying, God, as long as you keep me in these circumstances, give me the power and the boldness to exalt your Son. And then by faith, let's anticipate His grace that is sufficient to give us a powerful and precious encounter and filling of the Holy Spirit